Welcome to the Man of War podcast. When I first faced the boss, he said, here's the deal. From now on, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're on call to serve the Colombo family. CEO of Man of War, Rafa Conde. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, of course, of course. Can you just give us a little introduction of who you are and a little bit about your life? Yeah, I um, I grew up in New York and uh, Brooklyn, actually. And my dad, Sonny Francis, was uh, a very powerful figure in the Colombo organized crime family, one of the five New York mafia families. He was actually the underboss. So I grew up in that life. My dad was very, very high profile. Um, so I, I got a good understanding of the life at a young age, even though my dad didn't want me to become part of that life. He wanted me to go to school and be a doctor. And I was on that road uh, until he got in some serious trouble, indicted several times, in and out of jail, in, on trial, off trial. Uh, eventually, he was convicted in federal court for masterminding a nationwide string of bank robberies and sentenced to 50 years in prison. In wow. 1970, yeah, it was, it was the longest sentence for a bank robbery conspiracy case uh, ever given up to that point. So he goes off to prison in 1970 in Leavenworth, Kansas, and um, I'm a pre-med student, Hofstra University. I was the oldest of uh, my brothers and sisters, and my dad always claimed his innocence, which I believe, and um, I needed to help him get out of prison and overturn that conviction. I also needed to help my mother, you know, raise our, our uh, my brothers and sisters. So I leave school. My dad proposes me for membership into that life. And in 1975, after a recruit period where I had to prove myself worthy, uh, I was inducted into the family. I, I took an oath and became a made member. And that's the uh, um, uh, the word they use. Uh, and I was in that life for about 20 years. Became very high profile myself. I was arrested I don't know, 18 times. I had seven indictments, two federal racketeering indictments. Wow. And, um, you know, so I had a, a lot of success in that life, but I also had a lot of, you know, high profile notoriety and became a major target of law enforcement. And then, you know, to kind of round this out without telling the story, I was I was in, in 1984, among many things I was doing, uh, I was in the film business and I was producing a film in South Florida because I lived there at the time. I had a house there and I met a young girl on the set. Um, and fell very much in love with her. She's now my wife of 38 years. Wow, God bless you. Thank you. And basically, you know, she was a devout woman of faith, as was her mother. And um, mm -hmm. meeting her and wanting to preserve her from that life, because I don't know any family of any of that, anybody in that life that hasn't been devastated. And I didn't want to do this to this young girl. So I had to make a choice. It was either her sure. or the life. And I decided to walk away. And um, it was a, uh, a real challenge. Uh, you don't just walk away from that life. I had, you know, contract on my life. My father disowned me for a number of years. The feds thought I was going to become a major witness. They wanted me to, and they were trying to get me to enter the program and testify. They told me that I was a dead man anyway. Uh, all of this kind of stuff. As part of my exit strategy, I took a plea um, to a racketeering case. I got a 10-year prison sentence. I had $15 million restitution and mm. five forfeitures and went off to do my time um, and had a, a rough time in prison. You know, you know the thing, the government put me on diesel therapy. They were trying to break me down a whole mm. bit. But long story survived, uh, you know, made short rather. Uh, I became a person of faith during uh, three years that I spent in solitary. 
and uh, basically was able to transform my life, you know, when I got out of prison. And um, I've been speaking now all over the world. I've written five books. I do have a, you know, a fairly significant presence on social media. And I've been able to uh, to turn my life around in a big way. And I'm very, very thankful for that, uh, quite honestly, because it could have been a lot worse for me. And I'm, I'm very fortunate. Now, I mean, I have notes here also, you know, uh, one of the highest earning mobsters of all time. I mean, that right behind Al Capone, <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a big deal right there. Give me, yeah, give me an well, idea. Just give me an idea. What were you racking in a week? I mean, back then. Well, you know, I had, uh, with the help of a, a partner, we devised a scheme to defraud the government out of tax on every gallon of gasoline. And I ran that operation for about eight years. Um, the, uh, some Russian mob guys joined in with me from Brighton beach and at the height of my operation, we were selling a half a billion gallons of gas a month, and we were taking down wow. 20, 30 cents a gallon. So there were times we were pulling in eight to $10 million a week mm. in, Incredible. Uh, in tax money. Yeah, and this, so it, and this is uh, what, in the 70s and 80s? Yeah, this was, uh, it started in the late 70s, went right through till about 85. And uh, wow. yeah, it was, it was a very significant money earner for that life, and especially for my family. When I say family, I meant the mob family. Of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I look back at this, you know, your life story, and, and I've read a couple of your books, and it, what seizes, that, that kind of brings it to to the forefront here when I like to to really, really kind of dig deep into someone's life. And there has to be something, you know, the more I dig deep, that you, there are takeaways that you got from being a made man in the mafia that we're not all bad because I got to believe that you took some, something very powerful from there, from there to make you the man that you are today. So what I want to do is kind of open up that kind of worms and, and, and what did you take away from that? You know, give me an idea of things that you learned that made you stronger today that maybe you're not aligned with a hundred percent, but you learned from that. Um, from me, for example, I worked on wall street during the time where everybody was ripping everybody off, but those were days that maybe I want to keep behind me, but I learned a lot from certain aspects of it, uh, being a wall street broker. So give me an idea of what you, the takeaways that you can still use in your life to make you a better man today that you learned from the mafia. Well, absolutely. And the things that I did learn on the streets certainly served me well throughout my life. Number one, I knew how to uh, be disciplined in my life. Mm. You have to have discipline in that life to survive and to prosper. I learned how to accept authority, whether I liked it or not. You know, um, I learned how to respect a boss, even though I realized that he wasn't a true leader. There's a difference sometimes between a boss and a true leader. A boss can be put in that position to have authority over you. But he doesn't have leadership qualities. And I believe that, you know, a true leader is only a leader when people willingly want to follow that person. And not every boss has that. You can be a boss and not be a leader. And so I've learned that. I learned how to not pass judgment on people right away. Because in that life, if you're the first one to condemn someone, when it comes your turn, people are going to remember that. and You're going to be put in the same position. So I learned how always to be the last one to, to condemn people. I learned how never to speak without listening first. 
And that has served me well throughout my life, especially in negotiations. When I was negotiating business deals and I may have needed more information, I knew how to get information out of people before I spoke. So I knew how to speak more intelligently. So, and I learned respect, you know, you have to have respect in that life. And I've learned it. I learned how to give it. And, um, you know, I always give respect to people first. You have to lose it with me. And that's how I feel. And, um, you know, I also learned this. There's some other lessons. You know, I learned what treachery was all about because I learned how people can smile and and in your front be your best friend. And then when mm-hmm. you turn around, you got to watch your back. So all of these lessons you have to learn on the street. And if you don't, you don't survive properly. And every one of them has served me well in, in my life today. Hmm. Powerful right there. And I love the fact that you say that sometimes, you know, you follow the rank, but you don't necessarily follow the leader or the person that's technically leading that rank. Um, And that's very important because, you know, you're 100% spot on because in law enforcement, it's the same damn thing. You know, I have maybe in the palm of my hand, I could name guys that I felt were my supervisors and were my higher level officers um, that I followed and their rank were, you know, lieutenants and captains and, and so on. Uh, but you respect the rank, but as far as leaders, like you just said, a hundred percent, you know, if the man is not a leader, if the person's not a leader, um, you know, you don't really follow you. He's not going to get true men that are going to follow him. Um, talk about discipline. Um, when it comes to our society now, you know, you mentioned that, um, at the beginning of your answer of your last answer, but I want to kind of dive into that. Um, do you think that we are lacking discipline as, especially as men in our society? Oh, there's no question. Um, you know, the earliest sign of that for me was during my time in prison when I first went in back in 85 and I was out in, in uh, population, I met so many young people coming into the system at 21, 22 years old, had no discipline, but I understood why. Normally, you can almost write the same script for every one of them. They came from a broken home, no father figure in the house, mom young, trying to do her best, trying to get her own life squared away. And, you know, they gravitate to the street, to the local gangbanger, drug dealer. Before you know it, they're doing their bidding. And they had no mentorship, no discipline, no no respect for authority. And I even watched how they they handle themselves inside. And I used to counsel some of them. I say, you cannot be mad at these guards. You cannot respond back. You can't, this is authority. You have to respect it or you're going to suffer throughout your whole prison time. And unfortunately, we have a greater percentage of our young people today that grow up with no discipline, no proper upbringing in the house. And it's become, you know, much more, much worse, I should say, since the days when I was in prison. And, um, you know, I, I've said this many times. I believe that every young man should serve at least two years in the military because at least they'll get disciplined. They should go in. They should serve two years in the military, serve your country, learn what it is to love your country and to accept authority. Because if you can't accept authority in this life, you're in serious trouble. And, um, you know, and, and it's something that I talk about quite a bit. You know, I do a lot of men's groups and I, I get down with the men. And I try to teach them, you know, you got to accept authority. You got to be disciplined in your life and your behavior has to be disciplined. You can't just do anything you want, whatever you want. Sure, sure. You know, 
I mean, look, it, it works in, in everything. You got to be disciplined about what you eat. You got to be disciplined about your exercise, disciplined in your daily routine. It's so important. And there is a, a great dearth and a lack of that in our country, especially today. When you, um, it took you some time to get accepted into the family. Can you give me an idea and, and we can kind of track back discipline? Because I imagine there you had to be disciplined as hell, you know, trying to get into the family and, and being a made man. Can you give me an idea of what that took from you and how, how long really that it, that it took? Yeah, it was a two and a half year period with me because, uh, you know, I'll explain the situation at the time. Among all five families in New York, Prior to the mid-70s, they had an expression that the books were closed, meaning they weren't bringing any new guys into the family. And that was all, all five families had that policy. And it was a security reason. They just didn't want to build up anymore. The only way they were allowed to bring somebody in is if somebody died and they can replace them. Mm -hmm. Mid-70s, early to mid-70s, they opened the books and now they start bringing people in. So I was around people that had been waiting 20 years to become a member. They were recruits for 20 years. So when you come in, that's your title. You're a recruit. And when I first, uh, you know, faced the boss at that time, he said, here's the deal. From now on, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're on call to serve this family, the Colombo family. That means if your mother is sick and dying, you're at her bedside. The family calls you to service. You leave your mother. You come and serve us. We're number one in your life for, before anything and everything. And when and if we feel you deserve this privilege to become a member, we'll let you know. So that's the marching orders. So you got to do whatever you're told, anytime you're told, 24-7. I'll give you an example. I was uh, driving into, you can never be late in that life. If you had a meeting at 8 o'clock and you weren't there at 7.30, you were in trouble. Can never be late. So I'm driving in from Long Island where I had moved and I'm on the Belt Parkway and there was a traffic jam. And I was late, right? Half hour late. I can't tell you how I got reamed out for that. The next day, they told me, meet me at one o'clock at a place called Monty's in Brooklyn, right? So I get there at 12 o'clock. I'm standing outside at one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock. Three hours later, my boss pulls up, rolls down the window. He said, did you get the message? And I said, yeah. He said, good. Now get in your car and go home. Discipline. Wow. No excuses. No excuses. So, oh, I mean, that's yeah, kind of radical. It. But, yeah, they're trying to teach you. And believe me, it works. You know, you, you, it works. Because I was never late again, no matter what. If I had to sleep the night before, before I got, I, I wouldn't be late. So, but that kind of discipline in your life is good. It carries mm -hmm. over into other things. And um, I, I, you, you don't exist. You can't be, you cannot be. Uh, successful in this life without having discipline and respecting authority, whether you like it or not, you got to respect authority. Amen. Talk to me about the code within the family. You know, one of the things that we do here, a lot of what we do here actually in the matter of war is that we live by a code, our brotherhood. We're all about the warrior's code, the warrior's mentality. And we actually have an ethos, right? That we follow within the brotherhood. Uh, you know, being a strong man, you know, being a man of honor and so on. Um, did they have something like that inside, um, you know, the family? Oh, absolutely. It was a, a strong code of loyalty, respect, no question. I mean, you know, I was told when I came into the life, I had a very ideological view of the life because when you come in, 
Um, you know, they tell you, listen, wherever you go in the world, somebody's going to have your back. You don't have anything to worry about. Don't ever worry about your mother, your sister, your daughter, your wife. Nobody's ever going to bother them, you know, and you would never violate anyone's wife and daughter. Never, never. Or any family member. Take care of the people in your neighborhood. Be respectful in your communities, you know. You know, unfortunately, we were criminals, so we always had you know, the, the uh, law enforcement coming after us, which which caused a lot of people to break the code, because when you're facing, you know, 100 years in jail, not everybody stands up. Uh, but if it wasn't for that, the code that we had was very honorable. It, it really was. Don't ever lie to anybody. When we had a meeting, which was called a sit down to resolve a, a business dispute, and there was somebody sitting across the table from me that was a made guy. And was telling a story that was an out-and-out lie. I could not look at him and say, you're a liar. If I call him a liar, I would lose the argument because we weren't allowed to disrespect each other, even verbally. So I had to figure out a way how to get my point across and show that he wasn't telling the truth. So, you know, there's also it taught me a lot of of uh, technique and strategy at a meeting. So um, but yeah, you know, look. There's, you know, other than your marriage, and we understand that there's nothing more powerful than this brotherhood, this bond between men where I got your back, you got mine, this fellowship, this camaraderie. You know, when I left the life, people said to me, Michael, you know, what do you miss? Do you miss the money? Do you miss the power? Because, you know, I had, a, I had a jet plane, I had a helicopter, I had a lot of money, I had three houses all over the country. I said, no, I don't miss any of that. I miss the camaraderie I had with my guys. It was it was just great, great feeling. And uh, but, you know, now I have fellowship with with a lot of my brothers in faith. So it's been replaced. But um, those things are so important. So important. You really believe from from what you're saying that keeping your inner circle with the best possible people around. I mean, that that makes a difference in life. Would you agree? Oh, there's no question. Look, in this life, you are who you hang out with. And this is what I preach to young people in prisons and juvenile halls. You are who you hang with. There's two things. You are who you hang with. And I always ask them, who are you accountable to in your life? And some of them, they don't even know that answer because they're not accountable to anybody, not even themselves. Hmm. I said, remember this, who you are accountable to is going to direct the path that you pursue in your life. When I was in the mob, I was accountable to my boss, to my oath, and I was a criminal. Now I'm accountable to my God first, to my wife, my children, people that rely on me. So I keep a straighter path. You know, your inner circle has to be people that uh, that you have confidence in, that, you know, uh, are looking out for your best interests, uh, that you understand who they are and what they're all about. It's it's critical in this life. And, um, you know, young people need to understand that. And it's so it's so sad to see that. Many of them, you won't believe, they don't know how to answer that because they have no accountability. How do you go to life without accountability? Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, taking ownership and accountability is lacking in our day and age, without a doubt. And we see it, you know, and it's not just the the 15, 20-year-old men. It's actually, we see that across the board in the, the guys in their 30s and 40s. Uh, they're just not taking accountability. So those are very powerful words. And we need, in my opinion, um, and I would probably think that you would agree also, we need men to start stepping up and living lives that are honorable. And listen, you know, leading from the front, leading their families, you know, leading their businesses, you know, serving for a higher purpose for for God. And 
I mean, I think a lot of that is missing in and where we live now, not just this country, but in many countries. I travel all over the world, and at times I feel like it's not just the United States, even though, unfortunately, the United States is uh, kind of, it's, it's, it's in the limelight uh, for that. So I want to kind of dig deep here now in, in where we live in the USA. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of things here that I want to go into, but the media, what they start feeding you, um, how they start portraying men in movies, um, things that are actually, in my opinion, attacking and emasculating men. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, well, you know, there's no better example than, I, than I'll give you now. Um, I have an 11 year old grandchild and she said, Grandpa, will you take me to see the Barbie movie? <laughs> so I went to see the Barbie movie and I, I got a I didn't want to. But, you know, I'm a granddad and I, I try to do my best with them. And. And um, I got to give the studio credit because their marketing was brilliant. It was, you know, moms and their, you know, four or five, six to 12 year old daughters are going. There. And that's what the theater was filled with. I think I was one of three men in the theater. Right. And I'll tell you this. My 11 year old daughter didn't really love the movie because it wasn't made for her. That movie was made by a feminist uh, writer. She wrote it and a feminist director. And all it did was dumb down men dumb down men, elevate the status of women to the point where they don't need men and men are stupid, men are idiots and men are pathetic. That was what the movie and that's what's been happening in the United States for so long. I think it started way back when, you know, Married with Children first came out. And, you know, I have to say this. I say it affectionately yeah. because Ed O'Neill, who played Al Bundy, is a good friend of mine. I love mm -hmm. the guy. Uh, and I used to at six o'clock at night when I was in prison, I was to wait for that to come on because at least I had something to laugh about. Right. <laughs> it started then. And now there is such a movement to try to take masculinity away from men. And what women don't realize is that when men act like men, they're actually benefiting women. It's not demeaning to women. We're not taking anything away from women. We're actually building up because that's when men know how to treat women, know how to treat children, know how to provide for them, know how to protect them, you know, know how to manage and run, you know, companies and countries. And we're seeing such a lack of that now. Manhood is 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 never been attacked, at least in my lifetime, like I'm seeing it now. And look at the country. Look what's happening as a result. I could not agree with you anymore. I mean, I also went to see the Barbie. I have, you know, have a daughter, have a um, 10 year old daughter. And, you know, my wife, actually, she was thrilled to go see the movie, take my daughter. And, and as I sat through that daughter, uh, uh, through that movie, you know, I looked at my daughter. She was, you know, eh, that daughter, you know, the movie wasn't really for her. And she looked at me and said, you know, eh, you know, the movie's OK, but not what I expected. And the more the movie played on, I started realizing that this was just the creaming men, all um, breaking down men to the point where um, it, it's just sad that a movie like that would um, even be out there. Um, and I look, and I look at it more now than ever. And I start saying to myself, well, my daughter's 10 years old. I could only imagine all the 10, 12, 11, 13 year old girls with their moms that went to watch this, that's just going to plant a seed for our generation. So, you know, hundred percent with you on this. And, and I, I really believe that media is, you know, emasculating men in every shape, way and form. 
Um, let's talk about respect in our society. I think that I, I heard you talk about this in one of your podcasts. Um, respect, especially in the, the mafia, it was crucial. You know, you, you would have a sit down the way you spoke to someone. Um, it, it, you, every man had respect for each other. I personally think that we are missing that in our society big time. What are your thoughts on how people in general are respecting each other and even respect for authority? What do you think it is? Well, you know, unfortunately, I, I totally agree with you. And unfortunately, this starts at the top and it trickles down to society. And what I mean by that, I've never seen the level of divisiveness in this country. And, you know, way back when I remember sitting around, you know, the, the, the dining room table and having a discussion or my parents, my grandparents having a discussion. One might have been a Democrat, the other a Republican. They disagreed on certain things, but it was a nice discussion and they weren't that far apart in their ideology. But today, because of our leadership, the way they speak to each other, the, the horrible tweets that we see, they just the, the, it, it just. It's just so disrespectful uh, of, of one another that it's just trickled down to society. And now you can't even have an intelligent discussion with anyone. I mean, look, again, I have a big social media uh, presence and some of the stuff that comes across. And I tell people, you know, I don't mind having a, a respectful debate with you. That's what America is all about. We have respectful debate. We have, you know, divided uh, ideologies at times. But we have to have respect in talking about them so we can come to a, 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 you know, a conclusion on this. We can reach a consensus when you're disrespecting and calling people names and taking it personal and doing that. Nothing gets done. And we're seeing that in this country. There's just such a, a hatred for one another. And it's so divisive. And, I, I you know, I am a, an extremely optimistic guy. I feel that we can overcome anything. But I have a very pessimistic outlook of what's going on in America. I don't know if we're going to recover from it uh, because our leadership has gotten to a point where it, it's all about power and control and they don't want to give it up. And, and they're, they're stooping to methods that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And it's, it's scary. Not for, look, I'm 72 years old. What are they going to do to me? But I have seven kids. I have six grandchildren, another one on the way, and I'll have more. What is this country going to look like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Maybe even, you know, in the immediate future, maybe two, three, four years from now. I don't mm -hmm. know. And it's scary. Disinformation, misinformation. You Everywhere you look, you're getting different tidbits of information. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has different outlooks. My question here is this. Where can we find the truth? And that is, you know, that's something where <laughs> I don't know, I've been seeking and seeking, but the reality is, you know, it, it's tough. You know, this, this, this media is, I mean, just look at the, what's happening now with the Hunter Biden situation, you know, like, are you kidding me? Years of investigation for a slap on the wrist. <laughs> you know, for me, that's like I said, it's had seven indictments and I can't even count the number of investigations I've had against me. You know, it, it's such a joke. It's so overt. You know, but here's you asked a great question. <clears throat> you know, we have we have media on both sides. 
that don't really report the news anymore. It's all op-eds. It's all opinions. What they choose not to report, they won't report, no matter how important it is. So I think what people have to do is, you know, you got to... You got to look at MSNBC. You got to look at Fox News. You got to look at the Daily Wire. You got to look at Newsmax. You got to hear both sides of the story and then make your own determination. But you know what part of the problem is? I think, especially now when, you know, the economy is in rough shape and people are struggling to survive. So many people out there, they don't have the time to really investigate and research and look at the news. They're trying to put food on their table. They're trying to take care of their kids. They're trying to go to work. They're trying to buy a car. They don't have time to focus on this. So the little tidbits that they hear, you know, might be misleading and and in most cases is and brings them in the wrong direction. That's why, you know, that's why, again, you have these cities, and I have to mention this, where the most insane movement I've ever heard of, and I was a former criminal, defunding the police, cutting down the police department, you know, uh, and you're having cities now that are rampant in crime. Now, these people were sold a bull of goods, the citizens that voted this kind of nonsense in. But now they're paying the price. And now they're saying, hey, we need to be protected. You know, and now you have what? You have a, a dearth of law enforcement. Cities like Seattle and Portland and L.A. and New York. What's going on there is horrible. When did you ever think you'd have to lock up toothpaste behind a glass with a lock and key? When did you think you'd have to be standing next to somebody that's robbing, taking things off the shelves, counting with a calculator, not to get over $950 so they can just walk out the store, and then the person that takes their photo gets arrested? It is insanity. It's insanity. But it all started at the top, and it's trickling down, and I don't even know where to go to get information anymore. I don't. Without a doubt. And, you know, talk to me a little bit about people being triggered on social media, on Twitter, here and there, everybody losing their mind over over certain things and then, you know, spitting poison left and right and the hatred. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember times being like this so bad. And, and you mentioned it where you would sit in a table and it was OK. You know, you had your Democrat relative here and your Republican relative here, but they were able to have a peaceful conversation. We are so divided now that it is to the point where people will just go get into a fight, a physical fist fight, um, and, you know, to, to express their emotions. So I want to go here a little bit. Emotions, right? We talk about stoicism. We, about, we talk about a man being stoic, right? Um, a man carrying himself in a way that he's not reactive to every emotion that he has, right? Because I believe that breeds a very, very soft, weak man. In the mafia, something that, you know, you have experience in for many years, were men thick-faced, in other words, thick-skinned? Uh, were they, you know, were they able to take punches left and right and keep on moving and forging away and shrug it and continue? Or were they very emotional, highly triggered men? Well, the, the ones that survived were stoic in that regard. The ones that were very emotional and flew off the handle, they didn't last because they were considered loose cannons and wild cards. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've heard those expressions. And you don't want to mess with people like that. So in our life, the way to deal with it, get rid of them, eliminate them, you know, and that was it. But people that held their composure, that were able to have a, a sit down, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, one of the horrors of that life, you make a mistake, your best friend walks you into a room, you don't walk out again. That, that's a horror of that life. 
Well, there was a night, and everybody at one point is going to get the call of something similar to that in their life experience. And I had that experience. And uh, I'm in a discussion, and it was very serious. And I started to get emotional. I started to get angry at the boss. And then I caught myself because I said, well, I'm going to walk out of this room because I proved myself correct in the argument. I don't want to lose by getting emotional because they're attacking me in a way that I feel is unjust. So let me just calm down and keep quiet. I was able to catch myself. Mm -hmm. And had I not, it it could have been a different result that night. So um, when you fly off the handle, when you can't control your emotion, um, whether it be in the mob life or in normal life, it's going to work against you. There's no question. You have to keep your composure. And look, there are times when, you know, you know, (laughs) hopefully it's not a critical time in your life and and you make that mistake and and it doesn't end up, you know, seriously bad. But you got to control yourself. True men. You know, I always say this. It's not it's not strong men you have to worry about because strong men know how to control themselves. It's weak men that you have to worry about. Yes. Yes. That's it. hundred percent. hundred percent. Those are spot on words. Me and you see eye to eye on this 100%. Um, Give me a story in your life that that really changed you, that gave you, that impacted you deeply. Something that you can go back to and say, this is where I reinvented myself. Well, this, this, I I just kind of mentioned it. I'll get into a little more detail. You know, long story short... I was making a lot of money and I was making a lot of friends throughout the families because, you know, in that life, uh, money is power. And when you're making money, people, it's attractive to other people. So I had friends in other families and I had a big crew. And a story came out in a Long Island paper. I think it was a Long Island press that said that I was becoming powerful enough to break away from the Colombo family and start my own family. There was no it was a total fictional story. I don't even know why the guy even came up with it. It was nonsense, right? But it gets into people's heads. So when I got this call, you know, it was a good friend of mine that called me. And um, basically, I had to go and have a sit down with the boss who was on parole. But prior to that, my father called me. He was on parole. And he said, the boss wants to see us. And I said, Dad, let's let's go. I'll drive you in. Because he was on parole, he wasn't allowed to be around anybody, and I had no record at that time. And my dad said, no, they want me to come in first, they want you to come in second. My dad had an argument about that, because there was some talk on the street, and I was uncomfortable. But anyway, I said, okay, that's what we'll do. So anyway, I'm walking into this room, and and brother, it was was about a 30-yard walk from the car to the downstairs basement that I had to go. It was a summer night. It was an August night. And as I'm walking down this path, the guy that drove me gets behind me. And there was somebody sitting in the back of the car that gets behind him. And I knew the setup. I said, man, this is this is a problem. There's something wrong here. I said, I I may be in trouble. The bottom line, I went into the meeting. I almost fainted when that door opened because I know the setup, you know, I would have got it and it would have been over quickly. But here's the thing that changed me or that really had an impact. My father was in there before me and he had gone. And when I got back in the car with the guy that drove me, who I knew for 20 years, I knew him my whole life. I was angry with him because he didn't prepare me for what was going on in the meeting. And I was angry with him and I let him know it. And he looked at me and he said, Hey Mike, if it was the other way around, you wouldn't have prepared me either. 
And I said, you know what? You're right. I said, this is the life we lead. I said, it's, it's insane. Uh, but then as I was getting out of the car, he grabbed my hand and he said to me, Michael, I want to tell you this. He said, you're not going to like it, but I am your friend. Take this to the bank. And I said, what? He said, your father was in there earlier tonight. He didn't help you one bit. He threw you under the bus. And I was stunned because my father and I were very tight. I was stunned. And as I'm walking to my car, I realized what my dad did, knowing him so well. And what he said is, hey, if my son is doing anything wrong, if he's stealing money, if he, he does everything, I don't do anything. I'm on parole. I don't know what he's doing. Instead of standing up for me, my son would never do that and wrong. And I proved myself right in the meeting. He just threw me under the bus. Now, why was that impactful? Because I couldn't believe it. I couldn't understand it. But what I said to myself, if this family can separate father and son, what do I really have here? Two years later, I never said a word to my dad or anybody else. In that life, you keep your mouth shut. You don't let your emotions or your feelings known when they're negative, especially. So I said, I just kept quiet. But I'm telling you this. Two years later, I meet my wife. But if, if this incident didn't happen and I felt that betrayal from my dad, I would have never walked away from the life. That's how strong an impact it, I carried with it. So, you know, it's another defining moment. We have defining moments in our life when something happens that just could change the course or, or impact us in such a way that it's, it's life-changing in a way. And this was life-changing for me. Wow. That, that's, that's definitely a time where you, your life changes and tremendous impact, I could imagine, that it had on you. So here you are. Um, you have been growing in social media. Um, you know, you're out there speaking, you're consulting, you're, you know, your bestseller of I don't know how many books. Um, what are your goals here over the next five years? You know, just to uh, a, a couple of things that I have going on, I have just uh, put a platform together with Mike Tyson. And Mike um, wants to leave a strong legacy behind him. Mike has had a tremendous transformation in his life. It's real. Uh, he's been married now for several years with a wonderful woman. And, um, you know, we both want to benefit men, benefit young kids. Mike grew up in a, you know, without a father figure in the house and, you know, being arrested, you know, the whole story. And fortunately, he had a mentor, you know, that, that changed his life and made him champion of the world, the youngest champion, heavyweight champion in the world, Custer Motto. And so Mike now wants to be that mentor for young people and for men to be men. So we put a platform together called Champions Corner that we're going to be launching at the end of this month that I'm excited about because I think with Mike's uh, celebrity, we'll have the ability to reach men worldwide. Yes. And that's just an expansion of what I'm doing now. So that's important to me. Um, I have a couple of business deals that I'm on now that I think are going to be, you know, very lucrative. But, you know, basically for me, I'm speaking all over the country. You know, universities are calling me back now. I'm going to be at Alabama. I'm going to be at uh, uh, University of, of Iowa, Texas A&M this week, um, again, to speak to our athletes and tell them, listen, a couple of things. Number one, stay away from gambling. Stay away from drugs and alcohol. going to destroy your life. Very important you keep the right company in your life. You're a target. You know, social media, watch out for these things. People are going to be looking to use you in a way, compromise you in a way. All these messages, especially in light of social media, that can be so detrimental. You know, young men, young women, too, have to know this. So, 
You know, I believe this. I've been extremely blessed in my life. This could have turned out so much worse for me. And I do believe that to those who have been given much, much is expected in return. And we have an obligation, you know, to be out there and to be helping people. And uh, and that's my goal. That and my family. You know, it's 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 all about that. Well, you are a warrior in my book. You're a man that uh, serves definitely for a higher purpose and you live by a code and you're going out there and you know, you have a duty to serve and you're showing it. So I am not only proud of you, but I I am aligning with you and just about everything you said, you know, you're a man of honor and, and I respect that. Uh, before we go, um, where can people follow you? Where can people find you online? Well, again, I have a big social media presence, you know, mostly on YouTube. Uh, so it's just at Michael Francis on YouTube. I'm on Twitter and, and Facebook and uh, Instagram and all of that. <laughs> My website is michaelfrancis.com, uh, you know, and, and right now they're preparing a movie uh, on my life based upon my book, uh, Blood nice. Covenant. I will encourage people uh, to read my latest book. It's called A Mafia Democracy. And basically, I am illustrating to people how Machiavellian our government has become at the highest level, how it's operating very mob-like, power, control, money has become so important. And uh, and how, you know, people should notice this. And all I tell them is, listen, I don't want a revolution in the streets. I want you to pay attention to the people that are running office. Do your research. Try to get to know these people. Just put the best people in office and get rid of the ones that are not serving us properly. And that's the message of the book. And that's why I wrote it. And I felt an obligation to write it. So, um, you know, that's it, really. And and uh, I'm speaking all over the world. You know, I have many, many speaking engagements coming up. I'm going to be in uh, Atlantic City at Caesars World. I'm going to be in Ohio at the, in Warren at the Robbins Theater with Boom Boom Mancini, my friend. It's a big nice. foundation that he has. I'll be in Australia on tour for three months. I'm going to Scandinavia on tour. I'll be in uh, Cuba, actually. They, they bring me in to do a tour there. So, you know, uh, these doors are open for me and I, I try to do the best. And just like we did today, both of us, you know, give the proper message to people out there and, and hopefully they listen and we uh, encourage people to do the right thing in their lives. Well, God bless you. And we would love to have you back on soon on the show, because I think that you are a man that represents the warrior mindset. And not only that, but you serve for a higher purpose. And that's what we're about here in the man of war. God bless Perfect. you. And thank you for being on. Thank you. And I, I totally support what you're doing also. And anytime I get the call, you, you can bet I'll respond. So thank you for what you're doing. Keep up the great work, really.